Welcome to the Getting Real with Hillary show, where ordinary heroes tell extraordinary stories during unique and never-been-heard-before conversations with your host, Hillary Arno Burns. Hillary's unique listening and way of asking questions results in conversations that aren't usually talked about, so you can create the life that you really want but are afraid you can't really have. We are demonstrating the greatness in the human spirit and creating a world where we all reclaim our birthright of joy, happiness, purpose, and passion. Now, here's your host, Hilary Arno Burns. Welcome to the Getting Real with Hillary show. And today we have a very, very special guest. Before I introduce her, I am going to promote my third book. Um, Keep you in in suspense a little bit longer. It's called Your Bullshit is Your Blessing. How to Stop Fixing Yourself and Start Having Fun. If there's anything you think is wrong with yourself that you've been trying to fix your whole life, well, this is the book for you. Because I was trying to fix myself and finally I realized, you know what? It's not going to happen after all these years. So here's the secret. I have three phases, three stages, and really you can create freedom and a life you love. Your bullshit is your blessing. Find it on Amazon. Thank you. All right. Now, now that I've kept you in suspense, today we have Brigitte Denek. She was born in Northern France, which you'll see with her lovely accent. Brigitte is a voice coach with a difference. And she, what she does is so special. Um, Her mission is that people are empowered through authenticity of breath and voice and authenticity of listening. Now, she is not your everyday voice coach. She is truly special. And I want to welcome Brigitte. And I can't wait for you to tell your story, you know, talk about your work and how you're making a difference in the world. So welcome. Thanks. Hello. Hilary. Good to see you. So, yes. All right. So this is going to be very exciting because Brigitte does a truly special work that I've never heard of anyone else doing in the world. And uh, she might even do a little demo at the end. So let's let's discuss. But, you know, you were talking about your childhood, um, about your father. Do you want to just uh, tell us a little bit about that and how what you do, how what you do relates to that kind of I don't know if it's traumatic childhood, but what you went through as a child. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Uh, So, yeah, the way it started, um, I could just focus on a specific incident where my father came home and he was keen to stab the neighbor. And uh, he had taken scissors anyway, whatever the details. It was a big, big uh, shock. And um, what followed is that he was diagnosed as alcoholic and uh, alcoholic families are characterized by don't speak, don't trust, and don't feel. So that's what I was. That's how I grew up. I didn't speak, didn't trust, didn't feel. And that led me to being very, very interested in studies. I was passionate. I was first of the class. 
I uh, learned languages, everything. It was, oh, it was my passion. So uh, that's how my uh, childhood went. And I even, uh, after studies and studies, I thought, well, maybe I'd like to be a journalist and I'd like to do postgraduate studies in Paris, in that prestigious Institut d'études politiques, where I would learn to be a journalist and where many politicians come from. And uh, so I... I went to Paris. I was very happy to leave northern France, actually. <laughs> and then, yes. Can I ask you a question? Um, just, all right, hold that thought. We're, we're going to the Institute of Paris in a second. But when you, so when you were growing up and you said your father wanted to stab your neighbor, was he really going to do it? Was it an idle threat or was he about to go do it? We never knew. <laughs> because it never we don't happened. know, but it was just the fear. It was the fear or well, it was it was like uh, something not expected and something that he seemed he was going to do okay and yeah. was that your first memory of something being wrong you think i think so yeah pretty much yeah mm. so you're going along your life boom 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 all of a sudden mm. your father wants to stab the neighbor uh-oh <laughs> And now, and then you find out he's an alcoholic. Now, did did you already have don't feel, don't talk? I know you don't have it. You probably weren't aware of it, but you were already knowing that you had to be careful, so to speak. Be yeah, I was a very, um, I behaved very well. Yeah, yeah. From from childhood. Yeah. From childhood, yeah. Mm. Don't get him upset. Don't get him mad. That kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know what? I had that too. My father was a wonderful man, lovely, but a couple of times I saw him get really, really angry. And I also was like, don't get anyone upset because it's dangerous. You know, yeah. like deathly afraid. And so I also became good, like tried to be good. You could never be that good because eventually something happened, but tried to be good. That is that like how you were, then you studied, you got really good at studying. Oh yeah. That was how you, that was like how you compensated, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. So you got into the Institute of, how do you say it? You say it so nicely. Institut d'études politiques. We. Oui. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> All right, so go ahead. So you get to you get to college, right? But you call it university. Yeah. How do you say it? You say it so nice. University. Institute politique, which is a <laughs> postgraduate institution. Oh, uh, what? Okay, where did you go undergrad? I went uh, to Lille University. I I studied uh, German. Oh. Mm. So were you still home then? So this was your escape to go to Paris. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. So now you're in your what? Twenty. Yeah. Hardly. Yeah. Twenty. Okay. All right. Good. All right. So you get to Paris. Go ahead. In Paris, and I'm studying <laughs> hard, and yeah, with those teachers, professors, and uh, um, 
uh, writing papers and so on. And then in May 68, actually, I was in a library uh, and I see through the window that uh, police was chasing students with batons. Ah, and I look, I get informed. It was 3rd of May. It was the very, very beginning of something which was going to be a very major, major a shift in society and in culture. So uh, I couldn't stay away from that. From that moment, I was involved. And what happened was with the, my uh, colleagues or comrades or co-students, we occupied the Institut d'Etudes Politique and we had a press office. And meanwhile, some others were throwing cobblestones at police, at police and and uh, the government was in trouble and <laughs> lots of things changed. And, uh, and what, Brigitte, what were you, you know, because I'm not really aware, what were you fighting for? What were you standing for? It was really, uh, it started with students being chased by police for mm -hmm. probably something minor. Okay. And then it became uh, wanting a revolution, like those in power down and uh, something, some people were into communism, some into anarchism, Mao Zedong, the Chinese version, all that was growing. So yeah. you were basically wanting to overthrow the government. Yeah, that was uh, that was the <laughs> that was the word. Once I said to one of my fellow fellow revolutionaries, I told him, "Oh, I think we should challenge the government." He said, "No, overthrow." That was the word. Yeah, definitely. So was it exciting? And I, I mean, was it exciting, scary. Yeah. Yeah, what was exciting is we were all on the street. Uh, people talked to each other. People wrote poetry on the walls. It was really like an explosion of creativity at the same time. And that was very important, uh, an important component. Hence, there was something written on the wall, which was uh, under the cobblestones, you'll find the beach. <laughs> something like that. We were finding freedom. Wow. You know, like from the upbringing I had, and many of my, uh, uh, you know, contemporaries, we discovered we could invent something new. That was really the idea. Wow. Yeah. So you were really at the center of it, right? I lived on Boulevard Saint-Michel, which was right in the middle of Latin Quarter. And I could walk to my, uh, yeah, university and so on. Wow. Okay. All right. So what happened? That's amazing, right? <clears throat> yeah. Really amazing. <laughs> you were like in the middle of the stuff. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So after that, yeah, I had planned a year in America, so which I did, and um, got involved there as well a little bit, and then came back to study theater because I found that that's how I could 
transmit a message that was more than something you could write in an article. And writing was not as much my thing, if you like, as uh, displaying on the street what happened and uh, and uh, leading discussions, all that. Yeah. And so, so what? Yeah. So what were you like? You you said you went to America and got into it there. What were you into? The was it still the overthrow or just creativity? Yeah. Like what? were you representing? Well, in America, I just did a year of exchange, you know, where I taught in a college and then uh, some things happened. Then I participated more or less, but there was no, it was not as intense when I was in America. Then, but I prepared, I wrote, I wrote actually a thesis about women's liberation. So that was Mm -hmm. also something that I found uh, fundamental, yeah? So it was women, what oppression, what liberation. Wow. I wrote it for Paris University. And then, so then I went back to Paris and Mm -hmm. uh, I studied theater. That was what I wanted to do. And what I realized was my language since I had, since childhood, I had loved, you know, setting up performances as a game you know and then uh then uh when uh, these revolutions happened i found that it was a way to transmit what was happening to go on the street and perform and do uh, you know and there were all kinds of theaters uh happening uh, appearing at that time uh so in america there was the living theater uh in and they life and theater were were <laughs> they lived their life like theater and theater like their life but there's a lot to say about that but there were different trends and uh and uh in poland there was another trend and the name was Grotowski. and uh once they met one night actually uh, and they compared what they were doing and that the living theater was more prone to go towards mass uh, transformation and the uh, Polish theater more more uh, inclined to do a personal transformation. And that's the one I turned to wow. uh, after studying for a degree in uh, in a new university that bu- was built like a mushroom immediately in the uh, after in the aftermath of of sixty eight, yeah. So it was in the world. Okay, I have I have a question. When you <laughs> say you used the theater to transmit, like what had happened in Paris, like you wanted to let people know that there was a revolution. That yeah. like like what exactly? How did you do? Like how do you do? I mean, I'm assuming it's not theater as we know it with a script and you go through, you know, no. the show, a set show. This was something different. You were performing and yeah, how, like how does that work? Like creating a structure with a few people on the street and okay. performing it. Like let's say students being beaten up by by uh, cops. And then uh, building something from that, uh, 
and uh, people starting to look and to ask what it was and then answering what it was, what happened, etc. Oh, okay. So you acted out what happened in Paris to let them know what was going on. I see. Yes. And further, yeah, I just gave you a small example. Yeah. Okay. But so, but so you were acting out the events so that people could learn about them and then yeah. discuss them. And okay, that's cool. Okay. All right. Good. Thank you. All right. So then, um, then you went to Poland. And so you decided instead of mass transformation, you were going to focus on the personal with the Grotowski. Grita- yes. Right? Is that where you were at? Okay. Yes, that's right. I had studied three years in Paris. Yeah. Uh, we skipped three years now. Oh, okay. So I want to mention I studied all the areas of theater, but it was more acting, acting. Yeah. Okay. And we created collective uh, performances. Uh, so it was very, very interesting. We and what does collective? What does collective mean? Collective means everyone had a say in what the performance was going to be. It arose from uh, improvisations. Okay. Yeah. Okay. A, a common purpose. So uh, wow. we worked a lot with the body, and actually, we worked both uh, teachers and students who were naked because we were really free, free. And we, they, it was very serious, by the way. It's the same university where famous philosophers, famous, all the famous people who were kind of revolutionary were there uh, in one place in the woods near Paris. And uh, in the theater department, it was a big hall and there we had our classes, different classes. There was uh, body expression. There was uh, mainly body expression and uh, creating uh, performances and uh, puppets and uh, literature. There were also uh, some of tradi- some traditional theater, not much. It was really creating anew what theater was going to be. Mm. Yeah. Did you love that? Did you love it? I loved it. Yeah, it was very exciting time. Yeah, because you were you were create like which part you were create just like you were pioneer, right? You were kind of yes, Uh, yes, and paving the way for like you were changing the world, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. So that was, and you were, how old were you now? You were like still young 20s, right? Yes. By then I was maybe 25, 26. And then I got a grant to go to Poland. In the meantime, yeah, I will skip the the trip to America, but we did a show with, in, in a train station, a show with uh, people. F- uh, it was an exchange. We went to America and uh, stayed at the university there. And we together, we brought together a show. It was great, too. What, which city were you in? It was Las Vegas, New Mexico. Wow. New Mexico. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. 
Great. Uh, like the time you had. Yes. Okay. Go ahead. So then you. Right, and so now you're in Poland, right? Go ahead. In Poland, and um, so in Poland, why did I choose that? I chose that because uh, there was a book, uh, a book that Grotowski had written, which was towards a poor theater, and by that he meant the actor and the actor's training. And the actor going really uh, being fully engaged in training and in performance. So it was about being fully engaged. And uh, after I read that book, I thought that's what I want. That is the best in the world. So I applied for a scholarship, a grant, and got it. And, uh, and then I was there. And I spent a year and a half there. Uh, and it was there too. It it became every all the time. It it moved forward. Yeah. Uh, so there in Poland, um, they, it was the last show that was a show, uh, last performances of the last show of uh, Grotowski. It was called Apocalypsis Configuris. It's Latin, and it's just. Uh, it was built from improvisations, and the words came on top, poetry in particular. Now, um, what came before the performance was a very intense and very uh, precise training. The training uh, was such, you did acrobatics, and you did uh, also what they called plastic exercises, which was uh, that each part of the body would be alive. And alive, why? Because uh, the, the, everything started from work on the lower body, on the pelvis, which is the base, the basis, the base, base or basis, base, where everything, uh, all the energy comes from. So that I still have with me, if you like. It's not past. Uh, and um, so I trained with them and uh, even led a workshop with them uh, towards the end of my stay. And um, there were also new initiatives which went now outside theatre. And outside theater uh, was called para theater. And uh, what, um, what happened was in uh, 75, a university, uh, summer university, where big names of theater were invited and each had a workshop. There was Jean-Louis Barrault, French, of course, although Peter Brook, you may know, uh, he was of British origin. And then uh, many Americans as well, Andre Gregory and Joe Chaikin. So people I had known from their books and who were there for that uh, gathering. And so that, that showed all the new trends in theater. And was that still Poland? Were you still in Poland? Yeah, or had... It was all in Wrocław. That's a city in Poland okay. where Grotowski uh, had his theater, Laboratorium, 
It was okay. a laboratory. Wow. And uh, so uh, the year after, already it was different. There were some uh, events inside, and they were called either openings or beehives in that room that had been used for shows. And there were many events outside. And one project was the mountain project. And leaders took people to the top of the mountain, and there are moments, uh, days actually, of silence. And after, and after a few days, you arrived at the mountain at the night, and there were more improvisations, singing, dancing, uh, very... Yeah, it's, this was new. Like no one had done this stuff. This was all like revolutionary, and right. It was certainly new because um, the it was created from the old, but mm -hmm. towards something new. Actually, wow. uh, Grotowski called this the theater of sources, and he took a lot of inspiration from. Uh, rituals as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. before that, was it just like Shakespeare stage stuff, very to a form? Was this like this whole thing was brand new, this whole creation? Mm. You know, when you say, yeah, it was revolutionary. Mm. Say more about that. Which part? Like what it was bringing with the body and all that. Was that all new? Well, what was new is that uh, focus on the actors, on the people acting or later not even acting. Um, but to probably going towards rituals, giving a shape to something that would allow people to, um, something to happen between people. Mm. Um, like yeah. I remember one time we were in a, there was a time of one during those big gatherings in the, in the big room, where performances had taken place before. Uh, and in the room, when it was performances, the audience was around the room and the actors in the middle. Now, uh, when it became something else, there, were, there was a group of people in that room, people who came from everywhere, and improvisation. And while people were improvis improvising very freely with some elements, some object or rather natural elements, like maybe uh, plants, uh, you know, grains, things like that, um, some uh, songs arose. Mm. And... So it was like musical movement. And one day I found myself in this whole group. I saw that people were closing 
uh, we're just turning to each other and becoming uh, small units, if you like, two by twos and uh, couples. And then I, I started singing something very simple. And then the whole room changed, like opened. It was an, yeah, it was a nice experience that happened in those in, so, the, in this uh, framework, if you like. So the audience, I've, tell me if I'm getting this wrong. Before this, there were the actors on the stage and the audience. This was more everyone was together. The yeah. actors were mixed with the audience. Yeah. And did yeah. the audience participate as actors? So there was no difference? People yeah. were pretty, all... Yes. Mm, pretty much. Wow. They were leaders. Yeah, but not uh, not actors and audience. Mm. Wow! So when you so you were obviously an act actor, and you just started singing. That's what called you to be. Was that the first time you had done that? Uh, well, it was a unique experience. That's yeah. what I have <laughs> had done many things, but not uh, not that. It's creation. Yeah. Yeah. It may sound. Like not much, but it was really uh, creating the conditions for people to create something new. And it was called Encounter. It was called uh, different ways, but it was uh, the way it went. Then. So that's so when you said, um, you know, trans instead of transformation of the individual, I can't. I can't. Yeah, I can't. This was how the group transformed because they were all in this, they were experiencing something together. Yeah. That was new. And they were a part of it with Mm. you. There wasn't a separation between actors and audience. Yeah. They were in this, like, an experiential moment, right? Yeah. Wow. That sounds Mm. so cool. So, all right. So we. Yeah. All right, I want to hear what's next, but let's go since we're about halfway through. Let's go to our commercial break and then we'll come back and we'll find out how you, you know, obviously I'm sort of getting the sense of what you were talking about with the voice, how it comes through, but we're going to get more of that in the second half. All right. Um, but first, we're going to go to our sponsors. All right, we'll be right back. Has social-emotional learning become just one more thing on your teacher's plates? Do teachers and students both find it boring and ineffective? Then bring Kikori to your school. Kikori transforms classrooms through experiential SEL activities that help students play, reflect, connect, and grow. Even better, students say it's more fun than recess. Schedule a no-obligation conversation at kikoriapp.com slash bringkikori. K-I-K-O-R-I. Do you ever feel like you can't say what you really want to say? Or that you're stuck or in a holding pattern in your relationships, career, personal life, or finances? Are there things you want in life that you've given up on? Are you resigned that this is as good as it's going to get? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then Hillary Burns, 
host of the Getting Real with Hillary show, has the solution you need. Hillary is a published author of three books and has a program called The Getting Real Process. This process frees you from what is holding you back, allowing you to create a life you love. Don't believe it? It is hard to believe that it could work, isn't it? The proof is that hundreds of Hillary's clients have used the Getting Real process and are now free to create whatever they want in relationships, career, finances, enjoying life, or just loving themselves more. So go to realtalkwithhillary.com and order Hillary's book, Real Talk, and set up a conversation. Thank you, as always, to our sponsor, KokoriApp.com. If you want to bring experiential social-emotional learning to your schools, to your companies, go to KokoriApp.com and schedule an appointment. Uh, you can schedule it with Haley. She's my daughter. She works for uh, KokoriApp.com. It's an incredible thing, and it ties right into what we're talking about here with Brigitte, which is experiencing it's not just, you're not just reading about it. You're not just looking at it. You are part of it. So that's, that's what we're going to keep talking about. If you feel stuck in any way and you don't feel free to speak, go to realtalkwithhillary.com, schedule time to talk with me and we will get you free. And if you haven't heard of my third book, Your Bullshit is Your Blessing. Uh, this is also about being able to be yourself instead of fixing yourself, having more fun. And if you want to hear more, get uh, up to date with what's happening on the Getting Real with Hillary show, please subscribe to my newsletter, which you can find at gettingrealwithhillary.com. Uh, as always, if you like our shows, um, please follow them, share them, like them, tell your friends about them, because we are all about spreading the word, getting people inspired, saying what people aren't talking about, and creating a world where we are all free to uh, create lives we love. So back to Brigitte, we're going to hear more about, this is fascinating about what was happening back in the 60s and 70s in the theater movement. Welcome back. Wow. I like, I want to, I want to, I feel like I want to be in that audience with you experiencing it, you know? So anyway, okay. So there you were in Poland and then what happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then, uh, then uh, back to Paris, uh, finding a theater which didn't suit me because it was theater that time. <laughs> and uh, then um, moving ahead with therapy because I was also in therapies and trying to find my own uh, life, if you like. I had a life with what everything I was doing. And then uh, I explored therapies. I explored uh, more um, actually self-development in the form I called acting dynamics. Mm. Um, that was really uh, interesting. People uh, got to find discover themselves through literature, through the characters, especially, whether it was plays or novels, uh, and uh, 
from that having their performance within the workshop. So that's something I love doing and uh, on and on. And at one point, after doing a lot of emotional therapy, which was uh, the what I chose, you know, in groups, what I chose to uh, come to terms with my past, I discovered something which um, hell, was really another discovery. Um, I was told there was this uh, this uh, discipline, or what shall I call it, uh, voice coaching, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I was not looking for voice work, but I went there because I I was looking from uh, the therapies I had experienced. I I reached like I was looking for something still. So I went there, and uh, I immediately I had some new sensations through something that was body work, pure body work, uh, in certain postures, align the body and vocalize and breathe and vocalize and breathe and vocalize. And then something new. I found something new in my body, which was new sensations. And when I felt that, I knew what was right and what was what was true to me, if you like. So I was in Paris. I was involved with uh, very interesting things. I was part of different communities. Uh, and I found that... In some way, I was uh, complying. Mm. I was still being a good girl by by the by certain uh, rules. Maybe not rules, but uh, for me, I was. I found I was limited in many ways. Limited in my career, I was at the time I was uh, doing little things in the world of theater or uh, doing uh, communication uh, workshops or uh, for companies and then um, and uh, teaching uh, English. And when you say limited, yeah, when you say limited, do you mean in what you could say? Or you just felt constrained? Just constrained as a whole. Okay. Uh, And it was me uh, doing that. Uh, But But it was um, like, uh, yeah, like physical, like you were physically. um, Not necessarily. Um, But I was looking for something. I was in many things. Okay. And uh, physically, yes, when I went from place to place teaching or, uh, but uh, it was um, more the fact that I was still conforming. Mm. I had this feeling uh, when I started having those sensations, it was, hmm, I need to cut through that. Okay. And so I, um, 
I started to leave things I was part of. It was like, you know, when you are part of something, some association, fraternity, sorority, whatever, there there is constraints, although there is also support and so on. But I... I felt I had to to move and be and be um, myself. So while I was um, starting to feel that, I also, you know, felt this work on voice and breath was giving me some freedom with myself. Yeah freedom and some something I felt better right and I could so I did that and I uh, practiced and more the more I did it the better I felt like yes I'm in my power (laughs) right yeah Enjoyable breathing and and uh, voicing or or making sound and breathing and there was something great in that and that made me uh, keen to continue and even to take the training mm-hmm. and. It led me to London because I looked where I could be more myself than in Paris, where I was involved in different kinds of things, but where I could have roots in a way. It it may sound strange because I was French, I was in Paris, but Paris was limiting Uh career-wise already. So I wanted to have some uh, way to build something that would be uh, more me. Mm. And so with this uh, work going on, the physical voice, breath uh, work, I uh, started moving moving in uh, my life and moving physically then i moved to london <laughs> london being a place where there's much i'd say much more opportunities than mm. paris and more uh, more communication between people wow so i you know it may not be true for everybody but that's what i felt yeah. attracted me and then I kept going, and uh, but at one point, you know, in that search for myself, one point I, I thought, but what am I doing? I I should, uh, I should uh, have a pension, something, you know, uh, mm-hmm. do something. So I'm jumping from one thing where I get freedom to <laughs> one thing where I start uh, doubting and uh, saying, okay, where am I going now? And um, when I did that, I stopped the training for, I took a sabbatical and my attempt to be a, to, to study 
for secondary education failed miserably. <laughs> miserably. I was so offended, so desperate that I couldn't be what I wanted at one particular moment that it couldn't succeed, you know. So yeah. I failed. And then one point I went to uh, Belgium to have one of those singing sessions uh, where you work individually. And I worked in, individually with my coach, Serge Wilfin, his name. So I, with a little group, and... Whereas having failed, I was so miserable, I couldn't sleep, couldn't eat. Suddenly, oh, I felt, I didn't know what I felt at that point, but people around me said, what? What we can experience from you is peace and serenity. <laughs> that was the starting point for me to build my life in the wow. U.S. Yeah, I then um, did what I needed to do to have a job, but at the same time continue the training. I actually taught uh, young people uh, another adventure that for 12 years, I taught not the secondary, but higher, you know, 16 to 19 and then adults, uh, it was also exciting. And then I was able little by little to uh, build my life with the voice coaching. Mm. That was really the thing that was growing in that time. Um, and, uh, so that, uh, that has grown since. Um, I, yeah, I have... Uh, been here in the UK and uh, grown this and grown it internationally. Wow. I work with uh, colleagues, but also trainees now. It's worth, it's worth sharing it. So yeah. uh, I can share it uh, with you if you like. Sure. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So but that's amazing. I, so how many, years, how many years ago was it when you just said, this is what I'm going to do? Like, you know, you've done um, So, 98, 94 is when I had my, fr got first got in touch with that. Yeah. And uh, 98, I moved to the UK. Then 2001, failure. 2003, everything. Wow. So that's <laughs> 20 years. 20 years, yeah. 20 years, yes. Yeah. Mm. All right, so what can we do? Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> oh, so I'm intimidated by you, but... <laughs> I'm ready to... The process. So, first of all, uh, let go and sitting in your seat, let go against your seat, like you're slouching slightly. And people in the audience can try that too. Okay. So you just sit in your seat and let go a little bit uh, just to feel comfortable. Are you comfortable? Yeah? Yes. So now you bring one arm across your body, lifting your arm 
Yeah. So do it again because I want you to do this on an in-breath. Yes. Yes. So now uh, you can bring both arms like this and be careful not to uh, arch. Yeah. So you're still letting go against the seat and the arms go backwards a bit. Yeah. Uh, not too much. Look at mine. Yeah. Okay. And now you are going to do a Ah, pretty good. So let's go even more against the seat. All right. Let me wear my glasses to see you better. I'm looking at my arms. I'm like, ah, should have worn sleeves. Okay, now that I've said that. No, no, no. You're fine. You're great. And then you could actually uh, take the sides of your seat. If you can move your camera slightly, oh, like this is okay. And uh, press the, either you have a table in front of you or you have yeah. a seat where you can uh, put your hands on the side. Yes? Okay. Yeah. So where, is, where are your hands? I don't see them. They're on the table. On the table. Very good. Yeah. So now... You are on the table and you go, uh, you flex a little bit these arms. And then that's an exercise I call the lift. So you raise. Show me your arms. Show me your arms. All right. Yeah. Okay. So here are my arms. Yeah. And here are my table. Okay. Right. So I put my arms on my table. Okay. And so I'll show you now the top. Okay, you want me to do that? More from here, yeah? More from down because you're lifting, so you are lifting from your chair, aren't you? You want me to get up? <laughs> so now, can you lift from your chair when you... No, because I'm not wearing... I'm just wearing my bottoms. Okay. All right. So, like this, yeah. So again... Yes. And one more. And one uh, after me will alternate now. Okay. More from below. <laughs> yeah. So that's excellent exercise to let go a little bit and have more air and more force, more power, I should say, in your pelvis. Because wow. you hang between your arms or you hang uh from from the table and you you are because you are pressing the table then you are uh lifting from your chair yeah yeah 
If I'm and then what? Chair. Oh, you want me to do it again? Oh, good, good. You see, more and more yeah. you find it inside, and that's what's important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can see I'm inhibited by how I look and what camera. Mm. You know what I mean? And I think I feel yeah. not so free. But as I keep doing it, it's like yeah. let it go. So I could see what's yeah. not free, right? And look, yeah. And you can get free. Yeah. <laughs> It's, wow. it's a, a way to build up this freedom. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. Mm. That's really cool. Yeah, I can see where I'm not free, but I can see. Yeah. So that's how you work with people. You work with people. Body and voice, right? Body and voice. Individually. So yeah. You know, most people, when you think of a voice coach, you, th- um, you know, when you think of a voice coach, you think of singing, but this is really more body voice. Like this is very different than what we would think. Right. Yeah. So, and, yeah. Yeah. I could say it's not about you fitting the music. Right. It's about you. Yeah. When wow. we, sing, we try to sing well, we try to sing and it's fine because there is music to sing and professional singers they will they will uh get trained to do that. Yeah. And here it can help professional singers. Right. Now yeah. So this is really cool. I mean, I, now I want to do more. But so you, you know, you had, we're, we're almost running out of time. I want to make sure people know how to find you. Um, and and so uh, Brigitte has offered a complimentary session to anybody who reaches out. You can find her at beyourvoice.co.uk or you can email at bdenek. So B and then D as in dog, E, N as in Nancy, E-C-K at beyourvoice.co.uk. And we'll have that in the notes. Um, And you can reach out to Brigitte and get, you know, she calls it a free taster, which I love, a complimentary session. Um, And then Brigitte, you had said, you know, just in closing, we have about a minute. um, What you, what you want is that more people are aware of their power and not to pretend in their body. What what would you like to say in closing so that people really get your stand, you know, for the world and for people? Yeah. Yeah, my stand is that people are free, that you know already, and uh, um, that, you know, we have different blocks that express themselves in different ways, but once we get free from them, uh, we find a voice that's so uh, a, a path, I would say. The the breath and the voice are a path to bliss. I experienced it in this work. We're working with people. Amazing. When really the voice is present, it's, um, it's worth everything. And uh, with that, you know, it may be moments and really magical moments of uh, communication or dialogue, something between people. And that's why I extend now to listening and speaking mm. as something we can huh, 
keep inquiring into and doing more and more. That's my commitment as well. Wow. Well, thank you. That's really beautiful. And um, I don't know anyone who wouldn't want more moments of magic and bliss. So definitely reach out to Brigitte. Again, beyourvoice.co.uk or bdenek at beyourvoice.co.uk. And thank you so much for being here. It's a beautiful message. You know, this pot, this uh, show is all about people being free, saying what you're afraid to say, and, uh, you know, being inspired to create a life you love. So thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for what you're doing in the world. And um, I hope everyone reaches out to you. I certainly want to. I want to get that free taster <laughs> and do more of that when I'm not limited to this chair. So, so thank you again. Thank, thank you, Hilary. Great being with you. Yes, thank you. Thank you for watching this episode. I started getting real with Hillary when I discovered that I was a people pleasing, pleasant phony and wanted to be more of my real self. We can grow together if you will like the show, subscribe to my channel, and share this episode with your friends and family so that we can have a world that's more real.